All right. So we're continuing in the book of Colossians. But first, I have to tell you something that if you don't know it already, you should know it. And it's this. Marriage utterly changes you, okay? If you, and I'm talking if you're in a healthy marriage, all right? So if you're not in a healthy marriage and, it ha- and getting married has not changed you, you, you might need to, you know, think about that a little bit more. But just the act of getting married changes you as a person. It kind of changes the way you think through things. It changes your perspectives. It changes your life. Marriage changes you as a person. Here's just a, a few examples of how marriage changed me as a person. Before I got married... If I'm going to the grocery store, my goal at the grocery store is to buy as much food as possible with as little money as possible, okay? That was my goal. So it was a lot of ramen and a lot of pasta. Maybe bagels if I was feeling fancy, right? Like, this is what I was, I was trying to buy as much food as possible with as little money as possible. When I got married, I found out that there's these things called vegetables that people eat. And I, I wish that was a joke, but I really did not know people ate vegetables regularly until I got married. Okay, that's just my own background. But I, I didn't know. My wife's like, we got to eat more vegetables. I'm like, no, we can just eat pasta. Like, it's fine, right? She's like, we will die. And so what happened was when I got married, before I got married, I had a different vision for food. Then after I got married, now I like vegetables. Even the other day, I added some veggies to a certain dish. And my wife's like, I'm proud of you. You've really... You're really changing. And so marriage just changes you. Another way marriage changed me is when, you, you know, when you're a single guy and you're around an attractive girl, you, know, you, you can just daydream about asking that girl on a date. After you get married, and really a bit before you get married as well, you should stop daydreaming about those kinds of things, right? Like you need to, to honor your wife, to honor that relationship, you should stop daydreaming about those things. To guard your own heart, you should stop daydreaming about those things. Uh, another thing I noticed is marriage changed how I do errands. When I, go, when, I, when I was single doing errands, it was just about kind of getting whatever I needed to get done. I was just very me-centered. Now when I'm out at the store running errands, even if they're just for me, I'm kind of like, what did Jess tell me the other day that she needed? I can't, like, or, or I might even go now because we got three kids. I might go, okay, what, what things do we need to kind of help our family in this season of life? What are the kinds of things that we need as a family together? Marriage, it just changes you. It utterly changes you. It totally changes how you live life. It to- totally changes how you think about life. It totally changes your perspectives on life. And marriage should change us if we're in a mutually loving relationship uh, with our spouse. And what happens in marriage is there are all these things that once didn't matter to you, all of a sudden, they do matter to you. And today in Colossians, we're in just four verses. We, Mari already read them, on the, and you saw them on the screen. We're just in four verses in Colossians. And I think what Paul is trying to do in these four verses is say a few things that should matter to the church because of their relationship with Jesus. He wants to talk through all these different kinds, these few different things and say, hey, as you are this young church growing, forming, being God's people in Colossae, here are some things that should matter to you. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go through those verses and we're going to listen to what Paul says here and we're going to allow it to either form us if we have never kind of even heard those ideas before or we're going to allow it to convict us if we have heard those ideas before. And it, the goal is that these things that Paul wants to matter for the church in Colossae, we would realize and understand that they matter for us as the church in Flagstaff, Arizona as well. 
Okay, and so we're going to look at three things that Paul wants to be significant for the life of the church in Colossae, informing them, in shaping them, and changing them as people. Okay, and so here's the three things that we're going to see. We are going to see that our union matters. Our union matters, okay? The second thing we're going to see is that our thinking matters. Our thinking matters, okay? And the third thing we're going to see is knowing we, where we are at in God's story matters, okay? That's the third thing, all right? So let's hop into the text. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 1. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's kind of got two parts, Really, you can kind of even break it up into more parts, but there's two sections, I should say. There's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. The New Testament kicks off with these different accounts of Jesus' life, and then even the accounts of the Christians after Jesus. And then there's all these letters to different churches from church leaders, and that's what Colossians is. Colossians is a letter from Paul and Timothy to this church in Colossae. And so that's where we are if you're not familiar with the Bible. It's, it's pretty far into your Bible, and so uh, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles back there. Feel free to grab one, but the words will be on the screen. So verse 1, I'm just going to read the first four verses, and then we'll see what matters to Paul or what Paul wants to matter to the church in Colossae. So verse 1 says this, so if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, I just love that verse, I'm going to say that again. When Christ, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Okay, so one of the first things that sticks out to me from these verses is is this. Paul seems to find it very important to point to this union that the church in Colossae has in Christ, which really Paul is pointing to a union that anyone has in Christ. Did Did you notice what he says there? He goes, not only has Christ been raised from the dead, you've been raised for the de- from the dead. Not only has Christ died on the cross, you have died, your old self has died on the cross with him. And then if you remember last week in that passage that Rand preached last week, which by the way, go and listen to that. Rand did an amazing job. But in that passage, it says that not only have you raised with Christ, not only have you died with Christ, he said not only that, but Christ's circumcision is your circumcision. Paul finds it really important to point to this mysterious union that this group of people that never met Jesus have with Jesus. Right? They had not died and been raised from the dead at that point. They had not actually died and shared in the death with Christ on the cross. Most of them had not been circumcised because of their background and ethnicity. But Paul wants to point to this union that they have within Christ. And so in theology, what's being displayed here, and you see this throughout the New Testament, is something called our union with Christ. Our union with Christ, which is a way of saying that what Jesus has done through the cross and the resurrection has united us to him has knit us to him. What he's done through the cross and the resurrection has made us one with him. A sort of marriage has happened between all who believe in Jesus and Jesus. A union's happened. 
But I think it's even, it's, it's even more powerful than any marriage union that we've seen here on earth. Some powerful sort of thing has happened. And in Scripture, in the New Testament, points to this union we have in Christ time and time again. Everything that Christ has gone through in some mysterious way, even though we haven't gone through it, we have gone through it with Christ. That's, that's how powerful this union is that we have with Christ. And so this first thing that Paul wants to matter for the church in Colossae and wants them to know is this. Their union with Christ really matters. Their union with Christ really matters for all of life. Paul, it seems like he wants their union with Christ to be part of the foundation for which they live their lives. What we're going to see throughout the rest of chapter 3 of Colossians is all these ways that Paul wants the Christians to live life, to live their spirituality, to live practical life. And we're going to see all of these things. And it seems to me that Paul wants that living of life to flow out of a knowledge of their union with Jesus. Right? He's like, you've been raised, you've died, the passage before, you've been circumcised with Christ. He wants the way we live life, he wants the way we do things as the church to know that what matters and founds that and is part of the foundation of that is our union with Jesus. Our union with Jesus really matters. You, if you've just started following Jesus in the last number of years, you've not just started, you've not just began a new religion or joined a new religion. You've been united to Jesus. You've been united to him. If you grew up in the church and you're just like, well, I'm just doing kind of what my parents told me to do and I'm just kind of following those traditions. No, something more than that has happened. You've been united to Jesus. So much so your old sinful self has died with Jesus, even though you haven't died yet. So much so that even though you have not raised from the dead yet and you still experience sin and suffering in this world to your mortal body, you've been raised with Christ already. So much so you've been united to Jesus that, that his circumcision, which in that day was a mark of his righteousness, and a mark of the pe for the people of God, his circumcision of righteousness and a mark for the people of God has been applied to you without you ever having to be circumcised. You and I have been united to Christ, and it's this amazing thing, and Paul wants us to know that really matters. That really matters. Guys, we don't, we don't just have a bunch of beliefs in here, although that's part of our faith. We don't, we're not just like saying, hey, let's just follow Jesus and live like Jesus, although that's part of what's happening. What, has, uh, what is going on in here is not just beliefs in Jesus, not just following Jesus. Something has actually happened to us. We've been united to Jesus. An, an, an event has happened to our state of being. Much like marriage should change us, our union with Jesus should change us. It should do something to us because our union really matters. We need to know that matters. Sometimes uh, married people, they live like they're not married. That's usually when they get into trouble, right? <laughs> or you even meet this, you meet young couples where they're, they, they, start, they get married and they're living together 
and they just kind of are like, this is how I clean, this is how I do things. And then they're in marriage counseling, and it's like, you guys got to love each other. <laughs> like, just stop. Like, you gotta, there's got to be some mutuality there. You got you to come to a consensus here. And often what happens in marriage is when we don't live like we're married people, it, it has a negative effect on our relationship. I think sometimes we, that's kind of how we treat our union with Christ. Like, we don't even think of it. Like, externally, we'll take on the title of Christian, but we have not let the union we have with Jesus seek, sink down deep into our bones, utterly changing us. And it seems to me that Paul is kind of saying, like, if you don't notice this union, if you don't cling to this union, you're not going to be a healthy church. You're not going to be able to live this stuff out. And so, church, we have to see that our union matters. It really, it feels like to me almost like Paul is saying, if you're going to live this Christianity thing out, if you're going to be his body, if you're going to be his hands and feet, if you're going to love like he loves, if you're going to know him well, you have to remember that in every way imaginable, you have been united to Christ. Our union with Christ really matters. Let it be something that shapes your walk. Let it be something that shapes your life. Let it be something you think about. Let it be something that changes you. Something has happened to you if you're following Jesus. He's united himself to you. And that's incredible. Don't gloss over that, church. Our union really matters. It makes what comes up in the next passages we'll look at over the next few weeks, it makes it make more sense if we understand that our union with Jesus really matters. All right, uh, the next thing in this passage that Paul wants to communicate is how you think as a Christian matters, where your mind is as a Christian matters. Paul, he says, okay, seek the things that are above. He says, set your mind uh, where Christ is, okay? And so to be clear right away, we know that Paul isn't saying abandon material things, abandon things on this earth, right? Paul isn't saying, hey, go burn all your non-Christian CDs, okay? I got to say that for the millennials and Gen X in here, okay? That was a thing that, that people used to do, right? Paul isn't saying that. And we know he's not saying that because of this. Last week, just a few sentences ago in the, in the letter, Paul is saying, he's, he puts on blast this religion who's like, don't handle, don't touch, don't do that, like all these kinds of things. And he puts that religion on blast, essentially saying like, they are not seeing the goodness of God's creation in all sorts of ways. They are creating their own new religion outside of Christ. They are creating their own wisdoms outside of Christ. Like he, he puts that sort of way of living on blast. So we know that Paul isn't saying, hey, just kind of be this weird person that floats apart from creation. But I think what Paul is saying is this, is that Jesus is ruling over everything now. His cross and the resurrection has, has, in some sense, elevated Jesus, the Son of God, to ruler over the universe. He always was in one sense, but there's a significant thing happening in history that Paul wants to point to. And I think he's saying, because of that, look at this world and look at your life the way the king would. Look at this world and look at your life the way the ruler of the universe would. Put your mind in the place where he is. Have your mind go to the, his throne room as ruler over all. And so I think when Paul kind of talks about earthly thinking here, I think he's saying our thinking becomes earthly or worldly when we live life down here as if that's not true. 
when we do different things in life as if Jesus isn't king on the throne. And it's easy for us to do that, hence why Paul's saying, seek the things that are above. Put your mind in the place where Jesus is. Put your mind where he is. Know what's true about Jesus. Our thinking matters. Where our minds are matters. Our thinking needs to be formed by King Jesus. We need to seek to think like King Jesus. We need to seek to put our minds in front of him in his throne room going, is my mind right before you? Here, here's why this is so important for us to hear. And it was, it's probably the same reasons it was important for the church in Colossae to hear. We all have a way of thinking. You and I all have a way of thinking. And it's, it's affected by culture. Even those of you that have really abstained from culture and separated yourself from the greater culture around you, you have a way of thinking that is affected by some sort of culture. The way you think about things, the way you look at things, your perspectives are shaped and formed by the cultures around you. In all sorts of ways. Our thinking is formed by culture. You want to say that's not true? It's true. Just talk to a person from a different country about different things and you'll see that you have certain opinions because of the culture you grew up in and you'll see that they have certain opinions because of the culture they grew up in. None of us are neutral when it comes to how we think. I know in our culture and because of the enlightenment and because of our, our self-proclaimed autonomy that we all think we have, we all kind of think, I'm neutral. I see everything neutrally. I just wish people would just let me think for everybody. But you don't. You don't see things neutrally. Whether you know it or not, you've been shaped, your mind has been shaped, how you think has been shaped by the culture around us, and it causes you to view most things and look through most things through cultural lenses rather than King Jesus lenses. Even those of us that have been doing this Christian thing for a long time are shaped in ways we wouldn't expect. Okay, I'm going I'm to give a couple examples, okay? I take a deep breath because I don't want to give these examples, but I think they're good examples. Some of our shaping when it comes to controversial topics or political topics, they're shaped by the sort of king we want. And the king we want is not actually Jesus. It's some sort of Republican or Democrat king. And so our, shape, our, our thinking and our minds become shaped by how Republicans think through things or how Democrats think through things. Like some of us, the way we think about things, it's really just formed by Republican Party and policy and what's in vogue around with conservatives in that, in that time of day. And the way we look through everything is through this lens of our Republicanism. Some of us, though, on the flip side of that, we kind of do this, we do the same thing, but with democratic policies. We think through everything uh, with a democratic lens, and we see every policy, and we think through every controversy as, as how a Democrat would think through these things. Or you could pick your political party or whatever it might be. And here's the problem. In both of those instances, both of those types of people have taken Christian beliefs no, actually, they've taken non-Christian beliefs, I'll say this. They've taken non-Christian beliefs of Republicans or of Democrats, Democrats, sorry, and they've baptized them. That was not Freudian. They've baptized them. I really hate that I did that. Um, 
I've never said that in my life. I, I promise. So to get back to my point. People that are Republicans or Democrats, they take how they think things and how they think through policies and they baptize them in the name of Jesus. And they've said, the way this Republican or the way this Democrat thinks about this thing, I'm baptizing it, I'm making it Christian, even though it's not actually Christian. Even though it's not the way that King Jesus would think through that. Anthony, why do you keep bringing up the political stuff all the time? Because they are the main idols I am constantly seeing as a pastor. They are the main things we're worshiping. They are the main things shaping our thinking. They are the main things we get swept up in. We have to set our minds on Christ. Here's something that bums me out. This This truly bums me out. If I find out one or two facts about you as a person, I probably can guess to a T all of the things, all of the opinions you have about different political or controversial topics. If I just knew one or two things, if I know what kind of news media you consume, or if you were at university in the last 10 to 15 years. If I know one of those two things, I could go, here, let me, let me tell you your political platform. That, 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 that. It gets depressing to see that, church. A huge group of people have migrated out of this church and many other churches over the last two years because that gets depressing because they know we're actually supposed to set our minds on Christ. The, the politics of this country, friends, are earthly ways of thinking. Both sides. And yet we've baptized them in the name of Jesus. That is not how King Jesus would think through all of those things. We need to set our minds where Christ is. To me, one of the marks of like a mature Christian, one of the marks of a mature Christian is when they seem schizophrenic politically. That's mature Christianity to me. When they seem schizophrenic politically, like they're the kind of person, like if they said to just the average person out on the street, all of their political beliefs, they'd be like, you're crazy, dude. Like you're a crazy person. But here's what I've noticed is a lot of times those are some of the most mature believers in Christ. Because what they've done is they've taken every topic, every controversy, and they take it into the throne room of Jesus. And they set their mind where Jesus is and they go, how am I supposed to think through this Jesus? And they wrestle with it. I'm not saying they're always right, but they wrestle with it. And I've noticed that those are often the most mature Christians. Christian, if you look a lot like a Democrat, I wonder if you've been bringing your mind to Jesus' throne room. Christian, if you look like a Republican, I wonder if you're bringing your mind to the throne room of Jesus. Some of you are bristling because you're like, surely, no. That those frameworks are not Messiah, King, Jesus frameworks. Those are earthly frameworks. That should be easy for us as Christians to identify and see. Now, I'm not saying everything in every policy is non-Christian. I think both sides get things right at different times. I'm not... I'm not saying that sometimes different people get different things right. People that, aren't, that don't even know Jesus get things right all the time, often get things right more often than I do. But what I'm saying is be careful to not be swept up with the moments where you think you're seeing truth 
and just think the way that they all think. Christ should form our minds. Being in his midst, in his throne room, should form our minds. Amen, church? The sermon's not over. I just want to make sure you're <laughs> saying amen to this. Our thinking matters, church. I've been disturbed over the last <laughs> however many years. How much, it's just like our thinking, we don't think like Jesus. We don't even think like Christians. We just think by whatever microcultures we're part of in this big culture. We can't do that, church. Paul seems to say, you really can't do that. Here, here's two ways really quick. I, I know I'm sticking on this one for a long time, but, um, you know, get a job as a lead pastor, and you can too. Um, <laughs> but two personal examples where I, I began to earthly think very often, and it affected my behavior, and I was just so unchristian in those ways. Right, because our thinking affects our behavior, and then our behavior becomes unchristian. And so our thinking matters because our thinking affects how we display Jesus and how we love and, and all these sorts of things. And so here's two ways where I was just caught up in earthly thinking. Uh, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this. Like one way I used to think is I just like stealing just I didn't think really mattered. Okay. I'm on, like honestly, like I just didn't really think it mattered. There was like certain ways I was against stealing, but like I was just like, who really cares if you steal something from some big company? Like that was kind of how I thought through things, right? Like and I'm talking not like a few years ago. This was like late teens and like early 20s. And, and if I had friends that stole something, I'd be like, right on, dude, Robin Hood or whatever, you know, type of a thing. And it took like really like a youth pastor being like, that's not... Like, that's not a Christian way of thinking through this. Like, that's not how Jesus thinks through this. And it took, like, a few years of me going, like, that is not how Jesus <laughs> thinks through this. I have to change. Another way, like, another personal example of my earthly thinking is uh, when, especially when I got married, but even before I got married, I thought I was good at handling conflict because I was better than my parents at handling conflict. It's just an earthly way of thinking. I thought I was good at handling conflict because I was better than them. Here's what's worse. I thought I was good at handling conflict because I was doing what was natural to me in conflict. Two kinds of ways, earthly ways of thinking. I was like, I'm better than my parents. I'm doing what feels right, what seems right to me in conflict. That's not a Christian way of thinking. That's not setting my mind on Christ. Setting my mind on Christ would be taking conflict to the throne room of Jesus and going, how, did, how do I deal with this, Jesus? How would you deal with this? How do you rule and reign over this conflict I have? How do you rule and reign over my heart? Our thinking matters, church. It can lead to all sorts of things. And when it comes to that conflict stuff, you better believe, even though at some point I began to repent and change from those ways of thinking, I'm still having to deal with sinful patterns ingrained in my body even when it comes to conflict, and it's something I have to deal with and repent from to this day. Because earlier in life, I didn't realize how much my thinking mattered. I wasn't setting my mind on Christ. So church, I just, I want us to be a people that sets our minds on Christ. I want us to seek the things that are above. Many of us are just seeking these things that are below. And some of these things that are below, they're good parts of God's creation, but we're finding our identity, our purpose, our life-giving force in those things. Jesus, who is our life, is where we find our life. Not these things that are below. All right. I'll have my emails straight to spam this week, just so you know. Um, 
Here's the last thing that seems to matter to Paul, and he wants it to matter for the church in Colossae, is this. He says, he, it seems like he wants them to know knowing where we're at in God's story matters. Knowing where we're at in God's story matters. Here, here's what I kind of think he's saying in this passage. He's like, Christ has already done all this work that you've been united to. And after he's done all of this work, he's taken his rightful spot as, as ruler of the universe. But in the, in the meantime, even though the cross and the resurrection has defeated all of sin and evil and death in this world, he is patiently growing his kingdom until he will one day bring it in fullness. And I think this is part of why Paul in verse 4 says they're like, hey, if you live this way, if you persevere, if you have this Christ-like mentality, eventually what's going to happen is you're going to meet Christ in glory when he does return in fullness. But it's interesting. It's almost like Paul saying, look, there is this dynamic of you continuing to look like Christ in a sinful world, and yet one day he's going to come back, and yet he is still right now ruling over everything. Paul is giving the Colossian church a glimpse into what Christian life looks like, into a glimpse into what God has done in history. God has secured the restoration of the whole universe. Through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, the restoration of the universe has been secured, which could be a way for us to react to that and go, well, then I'm just going to wait around until he gets back. Maranatha. But instead, we as Christians are supposed to live into the story that God is still unfolding until he returns. And that story is this. When Christ resurrected, there was this seed of God's kingdom that was planted in the earth, almost literally in the tomb. And when Christ resurrected, this seed of the kingdom of God, it began to grow. And it began to grow be through God's work that he's doing in his people. And it began to grow through his people, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the hope of this seed growing is that it becomes this tree that can provide shade and can provide sustenance, provide God's kingdom for the whole earth. For anyone that's looking for God, God wanted this kingdom tree to grow and grow and grow so that it could touch and cover the whole earth. And so what the Colossians needed to know and what we need to know right now is we are in the part of the story where the tree is still growing. The kingdom tree is still growing and the primary way it's growing is through God's people. That's why throughout the New Testament, you're going to see all this language of God saying to us, be fruitful. Be a fruitful people. That language is confusing if you don't realize that God is growing his kingdom through his people. And his hope is, is that we display this kingdom tree to the world. And not just display it, but that we make this kingdom tree bigger. So that all might be saved. So that all might know Jesus. So that might all find protection under the shade of this kingdom tree. That's what God is doing. Knowing that we are in that part of the story is important. God is still working. He's still growing his kingdom tree. He's going to bring that tree or really the city we see in Revelation in its fullness one day and restore all things. But in the meantime, God is patient. He's patiently ruling because he wants more and more and more people to turn to him. 
Church, we need to know where we're at in the story. If we don't know where we're at in God's story of history, if we don't understand how God has worked and unfolded uh, his restoration and redemption through history, we're going to be confused, we're going to be anxious, we're going to be unwise. We need to know where we're at in the story. We're in this place where we continue living as Christ, knowing one day we're going to be able to join Christ in glory. When he returns, I don't know if Paul's saying, like, we're going to meet him in the sky. I don't know what that means. But we're going to meet Christ in his fullness and glory and restoration one day. But in the meantime, we continue to live as Christ, growing this kingdom tree. Does that make sense, church? Knowing that, I know you're like, I know this stuff. No, knowing that you're in that part of the story is important. It helps you know what sort of work to do. It helps you know what sort of wisdom to have. It helps you know all sorts of things. We need to know that, church. It's important for us to know where we're at in God's story. Jesus, he should, he should utterly change us, church. Having a relationship with Jesus should change us. Paul is basically just saying that to the Colossians through this whole passage. Jesus should utterly change you. You should realize you have a union with him and that changes your identity and how you live life. You should realize that you can bring your mind now before him and that should change your thinking and perspectives and what you seek out in this world. Jesus has, should change us in such a way that we see what God is doing in history. We don't have to be confused and just think chaos is going on. We can know that we have a sovereign God over all who is ruling well and is inviting us to participate in his growing of the kingdom. Church, I hope that we could be that sort of people. May we be that sort of people that know what matters. May we know our union with Jesus matters. May we know our thinking and set it in our minds before Jesus matters. May we know the work that Jesus has done in history and is continuing to do. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. God, help us to be this sort of church. Paul is clearly trying to form this young church in Colossae and you, God, have, you really were speaking through that and you've preserved these words, these 2,000 years later for us to hear and be formed by. And so God, I ask that we would be that sort of people, that we would be formed in those sorts of ways. God, would your union just be so comforting and beautiful and uh, just shaping of us? God, I, here's what I want to pray about our thinking. Could you convict me right now about my thinking? Where do I think not like a Christian? Where do I set my mind on earthly things instead of Christly things? And so God, convict all of us. I, I truly, God, please convict us. Show us where maybe while we're singing, God, just kind of give us, I don't know, flashes before our eyes or thoughts in our minds to help us know where we have not been thinking right. God, we cannot all in here be 100% setting our minds on you well. I don't think Paul would have said, seek these things out if we didn't need to hear it. And God, help us to know where you're working and where, where we are at in the story and help it to give us wisdom, help, us to, help it to calm our anxieties and help it to help us know you more. So God, we love you and we need you. Amen.